Another special edition episode of the Purple and Bold podcast from the Daily News Record. On location, we're in Columbus, Ohio, where the JMU women's basketball team is set to play in the NCAA tournament tomorrow afternoon. We're sitting here recording in our hotel room on a Friday afternoon. I'm Shane Metlin here with Noah Fleischman. Both of us in Ohio, both of us just came from Value City Arena down the street where JMU had their open practice, had their press conferences, got a little bit of a sense of where they're at heading into their first NCAA tournament game in seven years. Hard to believe it's been seven years, but um, programs back in the NCAA tournament. I don't know if we saw anything too remarkable in the uh, short open practice session or got too much of a sense from talking to them. But what was your impression, Noah, as we uh, came away from the arena today? Yeah, we didn't see too much. Only allowed to watch the first 15 minutes of practice. But, you know, I think that this is a team that is, uh, you know, excited to be in this situation. Um, Obviously, it's something they've been striving for. It's first time Sean O'Regan's taking the Dukes to the NCAA tournament. Um, Of course, they're they're getting ready for this away crowd they're going to be in front of. I mean, in front of probably five or 6,000 inside that arena here at Ohio State. But, Overall, I think they're excited, ready to go. They seem loose. They seemed excited, and I think, you know what? They're playing. I think they're going to play with nothing to lose. In this situation, they're not the favorite. They're a 14 seed. You know, um, 14's never won in the first round of the conference of the NCAA tournament on the women's side. So I think, you know what? They play free with nothing to lose. Good things may happen. Yeah, and I think one of the big questions going into this one is, can they shoot anywhere near as close to as well from three-point range as they did in the Sun Belt Championship game? They go 11 for 12, uh, Kiki Jefferson, Peyton McDaniel, both on fire. Yep. Don't know if it means anything, but during the little open practice session we did see, um, at one point they made 13 corner threes in a row. I don't know if that means that they're still still on fire or not, but hey, if there's one thing we can take out of the uh, open practice session, we did see that. Yeah, so I mean, you know what? Might, might bode well. I mean, if they hit... 11 threes tomorrow, I would say JMU's got a very good shot at winning the game. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be 11 for 12. They can go no. 8 for 16. I think they're in I pretty good shape. I think 10 of 20 does Yeah, they're, they're in pretty good shape um, in that regard. Um, <clears throat> but they're going to face a a tough challenge. Um, you know, one thing Ohio State likes to do is pressure the ball, pressure in the backcourt. Yep. So it may be a case where they got to hit some transition threes. Um Something Peyton McDaniel likes to do. I think it's something that, um, you know, Caroline Germain, Kiki Jefferson are not afraid to take that shot. But I don't know if it necessarily plays into how Jamie typically likes to play their offense, especially when they've been feeding the post the way they have for a lot of the season. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't really fit. But, I mean, if the shot is going down and that's something they're confident in doing, I think they're going to do it. Obviously, Jamie's going to want to slow the game down kind of as much as they can. Ohio State's going to want to run. And in that case, hitting a transition three, that's if you can't slow them down, you're going to have to do it. But if, they, if they're successful defensively, slowing them down, pressing them early, and, and kind of, you know, making it a jam, you still have a play, then you don't need to hit the transition three as often. But if they don't, then that's going to be necessary. 
Yeah, and we talked about Ohio State being a team that's going to press them. Uh, talked about <clears throat> Carolyn Germond. Um, I plan on writing some more about her before game time. I think she's going to be a key in this one. Really, her ability to break a press on her own off the dribble, I think she's done a good job of that so far this year. If she can do it against this caliber team, it should help JMU kind of um, negate what Ohio State has been doing so well this season. Yeah, I think it does, especially you know with the experienced veteran point guard. You know, she played at TCU before coming to JMU, and you know, hey, it's the Big Twelve. They weren't you know an NCAA tournament team, but you know, she's played in these big arenas, and I think that's going to play a factor in the press. I mean, when you see a team press at home, the crowd gets into it, and if they force turnovers, it just makes it louder and louder. I think she won't have any problem with you know breaking it. And obviously, you don't want to break it alone. They're not going to make her, you know, dribble up the court and try to get through it by herself. They'll, they'll get people to help her. But I think, you know, her experience being a grad student, uh, you know, really helps out. Yeah, and, um, you know, you talk about the crowd, uh, them reacting to the press, uh, and, and just good things in general happening. Expecting around 6,000 probably from, you know, people we talked to today. It's, you know, what Ohio State officials are kind of thinking it'll probably be. Um, 6,000, though, in a quite large building. I don't think I realized how big uh, the Valley City Arena here was until stepping into it for the first time today. Yeah, no, it's big. I mean, it seats, what, 18,000? They block off the top, so, I mean, it's only around yeah. 10,000 capacity on the on the bottom bowl, but you know what? It's massive. Play, they play hockey there, too. Ohio State hockey's pretty good, so overall, yeah. it's, it's, a cool, it's a cool building, though. It's cool. Yeah, it will be JMU's fourth game in a row in a hockey arena, which is... Um, I think notable because they they it, played it well, well, they shot well in that. Um, it's not a, the same kind of setup as uh, Pensacola, yeah. Though um, <clears throat> they do, you know, have the risers and things and the end zones that kind of you know make it feel a little bit more like a bo- basketball arena too. Is it is multi-purpose. Um, and you mentioned too the the curtains upstairs in the top upper deck, which they're going to have that curtained off for tomorrow's game, do kind of help make it feel a little more intimate, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, as I, you know, I, I compared it to what talking with somebody from Ohio state today, I compared it to Maryland, the Comcast or Xfinity, whatever it's called these days there. Um, that's just a cavernous 18,000 seat. Yeah. Arena that, you know, when Jamie's played Maryland there, yeah, they get five, 6,000 people there, but it still feels pretty empty. I don't think it's going to feel empty necessarily with 6,000 people there tomorrow. No, I don't think it will. I think it'll be a cool environment. Obviously, it's going to be a very pro-Ohio State um, being the first game, being on their campus. But overall, I think, you know, it's a cool venue, and I think it'll feel pretty full, especially when they block off the empty seats up top. So, you know what, that makes it – you can't really see them. At some point, if you're just playing on the court, it may not even appear that there's seats up there. So, I mean, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I think that is probably the the main effect of the curtains up there is you kind of have to take a close look to realize that they could open that up and have some more yeah. space there. Um, they, it, it's it's well-designed in that regard to be big enough for the biggest men's basketball games here, but also, you know, handle handle this kind of, you know, women's basketball crowd, handle a, a hockey crowd. I'm guessing they don't draw 18,000 for college hockey. Probably not. Um, so it, it it's well-designed in that regard. It's, um, it's a building that built in 1998 i know they've done some renovations and things on it but you know wouldn't have guessed that it was that old when you tried comparing it to 
the newness of the Atlantic Union Bank Center uh, matches up quite well uh, in that regard. It's just, you know, a very nice uh, facility. Yeah, they've kept it up for sure. I mean, we walked, a, we saw the concourse a little bit today. We'll check it out more tomorrow. But, you know, I think they've done good renovations and it looks cool on the concourse for sure. It looks kind of newer than the actual building is. Yeah. Uh, not in Texas, but uh, you can almost kind of say like they do everything big in Ohio. If, you, if you're in Columbus mm-hmm. looking at a, this Ohio State campus, um, pretty big. The Just the athletic campus from, you know, the Horseshoe football stadium down the street. You know, past the Valley City Arena to uh, field hockey, several um, pl- practice facilities and uh, administrative buildings and everything. Um, you know, the athletic village part of the campus is as large as a lot of college campuses are on their own. It's it's a gigantic place. Oh, it is for sure. I mean, we didn't even see any academic buildings today. And, you know, yeah. we were we were on a pretty big part of their campus. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's cool for sure. And I think you know, Columbus is a cool town. We just got here, and, you know, we went straight to the, the arena, saw this stuff, came back to the hotel, recorded this podcast. So, I mean, overall, six-hour drive was well worth it. You know, maybe some Jamie fans made the trip. Yeah, and we, we didn't get to the Ohio State press conference. That was um, in the morning while we were still – we were probably in West Virginia when they were on the podium. <laughs> yeah, probably. Uh, so, we didn't hear too much from them, but it does seem like they have a healthy respect for JMU, um, you know, well aware of the history of the program – um, but I think they do also probably view themselves as favorites, rightfully so. Um, a 14's never beaten a three, but a 16's beaten a one. Yeah, and, explain that one to me. And I do think it's going to happen at some point. As uh, <clears throat> just women, women's basketball, there's more parity yep. in it every year. Uh, but it's gonna be it's gonna be a challenge for JMU to be the the history maker in that regard. Oh, it's going to be a, it's an extremely tall challenge, especially not only would it be a challenge if this game was being played in Des Moines, Iowa, but, you know, it's a challenge just between the two teams. But you add the the fact, the fact that, you know, it's going to be a lot of fans for Ohio mm-hmm. State. They're going to outnumber Jamie fans by a lot. They're going to make a lot of noise. And that's going to help Ohio State kind of, even if JMU were to build a lead, it's going to help them get back in the game. So, I mean, this is a game that if JMU starts, jumps out in front, you know, by five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten points. That's not a safe lead in this game. Yeah. You want to, as crazy as it is, if to, for JMU to win this game, they they can win by five, sure. But like, if you're leading by five, it's not a safe lead. You need really need like a twenty point lead to feel safe, and it's not going to happen against Ohio State. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned a twenty point lead, and I think we've mentioned it before. Taylor Micasell, Micasell, uh, Ohio State's best player, came back from twenty down against JMU. Uh, a few years ago playing for Maryland uh, hit some big shots in that rally too um, so I imagine she'll have and Ohio State has come back from a very large deficit here recently in the Big Ten tournament so even if JMU does get off to a good start you're not really going to rattle them and you're not in that situation where like in the men's tournament whenever an underdog starts to get going in the men's tournament Everybody who's not there to root for the favorite adopts that underdog and takes them all, takes on uh, cheering for them. And sometimes, you know, it almost becomes a road game for the higher seeded team in the men's tournament. Will not be the case in the women's um, if JMU somehow gets off to a good start in this one tomorrow. Yeah, that's definitely not happening. I mean, you know, you touch, you hit a great thing, right? You're at, we're on the campus of Ohio State, they're playing mm-hmm. Ohio State. If they were in the other game, maybe. 
they get yeah. the underdog role, right? The second game between uh, UNC and St. John's, but they're not. And so we'll see what happens. Obviously, they played first, so that's good for, you know, JMU. Sean O'Regan touched on it last week. We're talking about how playing first lets them stay in their routine of getting on the court early and doing their stuff. Because if you're playing the second game, you got to wait for that game to end and you immediately start warm-ups. So I think he likes that case. And we'll see what happens. But you look across the way, UNC is a winnable game if JMU gets them. St. John's is a winnable game if JMU can get advanced. Especially if they're led by a JMU alum. Yeah, you, you started to hit on that this is, you know, they say they don't see this tournament for storylines. And they probably didn't for this, but it ended up being a pretty interesting pod of teams here in Columbus. Um, from the Jamie perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. From the Jamie perspective, for sure. But I mean, even if you're North Carolina, yeah. you know, you're, you're looking at teams you have some history with. Um, you know, Jamie played North Carolina already this year. If, if Jamie can win and advance, likely will play the Tar Heels for a second time after a very competitive game early on but hey if it's two double digit underdogs trying to get out of columbus on monday that would be a heck of a story heck of a game when you consider as you mentioned uh, a jmu alum joe tartamella coaching st john's one of ohio state's all-time great players uh sam prehalis holmes is on the st john's bench and she was also an assistant at jmu last year so just just um you know from the St. John's perspective they got they bring a lot of storylines to this um to this part of the tournament too. They do and I think that's kind of cool. We'll see what happens if two double digit seeds make it to Monday. We got to extend our trip. Yeah. A lot of storylines to write about on Sunday, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it will be uh, worth the money if if that can happen uh going into Monday. But both of those teams, JMU and St. John's have a, a tall task in front of them, I'd say. Oh, they do. They do. Both teams are playing really good. Teams are playing really well right now. I mean, UNC kind of struggled, but, you know, they're a really good team. And, you know, mm-hmm. Ohio State made a really big run in the Big Ten tournament last week and, you know, fell to Iowa in the championship game, but they knocked off Indiana um, after trailing by, what, 20-something points. So, yeah, Ohio State's hitting on cylinders. It's going to be a tall task for JMU. But every game they've played this year that's been a big game, they've roached the occasion. So, Sometimes they play down to people's level, but also they play up to people's level, and I think they, they're they capable of playing up to Ohio State's level tomorrow. Yeah, and <clears throat> this is a, a special edition mini episode of the Purple and Bold podcast. Um, so about time to wrap this one up. We will record another version tomorrow post-game, probably from uh, the Value City Arena, uh, talk about whether the Dukes are – suddenly Cinderella's or if they're heading home to uh, call the season, we'll, we'll find out uh, tomorrow here in Columbus. Uh, but in the meantime, you've been listening to the purple and bold podcast uh, from the daily news record. I'm Shane Metlin uh, with Noah Fleischman in Columbus, Ohio. I appreciate you tuning in. <laughs>